Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of New Heights with Jason and Travis Kelsey. It's your host, Jason Kelsey. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Did I trick you? Did I? (laughs) I'm so sorry. Did you accidentally think you turned on the wrong podcast for a second? It's not. It's just me. Don't worry, you guys. It's Olivia's Obscura. We're back. Um, My name is Olivia. I am your humble, sexy, beautiful, funny, charming, smart, intelligent, amazing, incredible host today and always because I run this bitch. Um, it's a one, <laughs> one woman operation over here. I'm feeling a little silly today. I woke up and I got out of bed and I was just like, I, I don't know. I was just feeling a little silly. So we'll see how... We'll see how things go today. I am going to try to keep to my agenda, but <clears throat> you know where you know where that's gotten us the past few weeks. My strengths do not include, um, you know, staying to an agenda, really, when it comes to this podcast, but I'm glad you're here. Welcome back for another week. Um, happy to have you. And you want to know what's super exciting is that I have some five-star reviews to share with the class. Okay, so if you wrote a review. It's your time to shine. I'm going to read it. All right. This review is from, is this name taken? I look forward to Mondays because of this pod. It keeps me company on my drive to work. I love the variety of topics covered week to week. Heart hands emoji. Thank you so much. Obscura head, certified Obscura head. I so appreciate your review and taking the time to listen every week. And I'm so glad that I can ride shotgun with my hair undone in the front seat of your car with you on your drive to work. Um, happy to be there, you know, happy to be there. This is from Have You Met Tess? I have met Tess. They say your BFF's long form gossipy audio message, but make it a podcast. Best part of my Monday. Thank you, Queen. Um, that is just everything that I'm hoping to serve up on a weekly basis is just a 90 minute long audio message. <laughs> Cause isn't that just what everybody wants? Um, those are, those are my, re- those are the new reviews for the week. Um, if you would like to leave a review and have it read next week on the podcast, go on to Apple podcasts and leave me a review on Spotify. It doesn't give you the option to write a review. You can just tap how many stars, which is excellent. And I love that. But if you're feeling a little bit extra, if you want like extra credit, if you're trying to get that above 4.0 grade point average, um, looking to take like an AP level course, definitely I would suggest leaving me a written review because it will actually give me the strength to go on for at least four to six more days, you know? Okay, actually, I need to discuss what just happened to me in the laundry room downstairs because it was Saturday. You guys, I've put off my laundry for quite literally two weeks and I just don't do that. I'm usually a weekly laundry girl because like, actually, I just don't have that many clothes. People who are like, oh, I haven't done laundry in a month. I like genuinely wonder like where, like, where are you getting your socks and your underwear? And like, I don't know, like I just don't have enough. I just don't have enough clothes and things to sustain me for like really longer than two weeks. Like I was really pushing the limit with the the amount of laundry that I had to do today. So I went downstairs and first of all, we got an email from our landlord on like Wednesday saying that the dryers were broken and that they were sending out our repairman to fix the dryers. And I was like, ugh, whatever. Like I really, 
I was going to do laundry on Wednesday, but then I'm like, well, I need to be able to dry stuff because I like it's just it's just kind of like (laughs) unpleasant to have to air dry everything because like I do usually air dry. This is so fucking boring. I can't believe I'm just on here talking about my laundry, Um, but I usually air dry like exercise, like yoga pants, sweatpants, T-shirts, like bras, that kind of stuff that I that I just feel like jeans specifically stuff like that, that it kind of lengthens the lifespan of the clothing to air dry it but little stuff like underwear and socks and like pajamas and just stuff that I don't like need to preserve the quality of as much I just throw in the dryer obviously because I don't have the space in my 500 square foot apartment to be air drying every single piece of clothing that I own. I only have like one drying rack. So like, what's a girl to do? So I was like, okay, I'll wait till the dryers get fixed. I go down there today to do my laundry. And the sink is like, because there's two dryers, two washers, and then this sink that the washers drain into. And the sink was full of soapy water. And in my head, I thought, okay, like, this could be an issue. This could mean that the sink is clogged. (laughs) This could also mean that somebody filled the sink with soapy water so that they could hand wash something. I don't know. Like that sink is there obviously to serve as a place for the washing machines to drain, but also like it is just a usable sink. So like maybe someone was hand washing something in there. So I was like, whatever, like I'm just gonna not think about the sink and I'm gonna put my clothes. So I used each washer. I put a load of laundry in each washer, let it run. I just go back down there a couple minutes ago to switch it over to the dryer and bring the stuff that I need to air dry back upstairs. And as soon as I rounded the corner, <laughs> I saw that the water, there was water trickling out the door <laughs> down, down the carport because the laundry room is like in with the carport. So it's all cement. So there wasn't any like, I didn't have to worry about like wood getting damaged or anything because it's like, it's all metal and like cement. So like there wasn't going to be any water damage, but I was like, that's no good. Like that's really not the, that's not what I wanted to see when I come down here is that the laundry room has been flooded um, for all intents and purposes. You know, it's not standing water. So once again, I go, this isn't my business. Like this is why I pay to rent an apartment instead of own it myself. You know what I mean? Like, part of the beauty of renting is that nothing is my problem. (laughs) Nothing is my problem. It's all the landlord's problem. So I said, you know what? This isn't my problem. This sink and the fact that it's flooded really isn't my problem. Um, Especially because it wasn't like there was standing water. Like the water had just drained out of the laundry room into the outside like alleyway. Not a huge deal. One washer, fine, took all my clothes out, fine, no no notes. The other washer, I was pulling stuff out. And when I got to like the bottom of the load, the stuff at the bottom, it was like sopping wet. I pulled it out and it was like dripping on my feet. And I said, that's not good. Like that's really not, that's like really not what the washer is supposed to offer (laughs) as a final product. And I got all my shit out of there, squeezed it out, like wrung it out because it was sopping, sopping wet. And in the bottom of the washing machine was just like, probably three inches of standing water that like hadn't gotten drained out during the spin cycle, which was obviously disgusting. Not literally because it was clean, soapy water that like 
like it had cleaned my clothes and the water wasn't like dirty, but I was just like, that's nasty. <laughs> it's nasty to have standing water in the washing machine afterwards. So I took some pictures. I sent my landlord an email. I was like, hey, by the way, the laundry room is not looking so good right now. And there is some standing water happening in the laundry washing machine. Um, and there was my neighbor standing behind me waiting to go in. And she was like, how is it in there? And I was like, it is not super good. I'm going to I'm gonna level with you. It is not excellent. The conditions in the laundry room, not excellent. The dryers did get fixed. So I'll say that. Um, but now we have some, some flooding happening. So that was kind of the drama of the morning. <laughs> that was some laundry room drama. Um, so I hope you... I hope you enjoyed that. I might have to cut that out because I... That was like a five-minute story about my laundry that I, I don't know if I can justify. Um, but hey, it's my podcast. Actually, no, fuck it. I'm not cutting that out. It's my podcast. I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. It's after 10 p.m. so we can say whatever the hell we want. Um, uh, okay, so... Oh, first thing that I need to say, everyone, I am now gainfully part-time employed. Woo! I've been trying to find a part-time job for months, like since like literally October, I've been like selectively like applying and interviewing for, for things and like nothing ever comes through, but I'm entering my receptionist era. I have actually never been a receptionist before. It's not a very small like... um like private chiropractor practice and I'm thrilled. I've, it seems very chill. It seems like the doctor that I talked to is like super nice. I love her. Um, from what I know, it's just the two doctors that work there and seems like a very, it seems like an excellent way for me to have a soft landing in the world of the receptionary arts. Okay. <laughs> I'm actually really excited. I start on Monday just because like I, I'm so used to working like dirty jobs, you know, like working in food service, like it's dirty and you're sweating. And at the end of the day, you like leave and you just feel like you got run over by a truck and you're like sticky and it's just, it's just foul. And when I worked at the food bank, like it was dirty. <laughs> I was in the warehouse all day. So I'm just like, it sounds strange, but I am excited to be able to wear like normal, cute clothes to a job and not be like dirty and running around sweating <laughs> for eight hours straight. And that's the other thing is that I did not want to work full time or I didn't want to get a full time day job because I just don't have the time. Like I have other freelance projects and art stuff that takes up enough time that I I can't like if I were to start working 40 hours a week outside of the home, like I would need to abandon a bunch of other projects that I am working on and working towards. And I'm just like, I just can't do that. Like I'm just not at the point where I'm ready to say, fuck it. I'm qu <laughs> I'm not ready to like throw out the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, I'm, I, I'm quitting my art career. I just want to be a full-time receptionist. Like that is literally not, that wasn't an option for me. So I said, I'm working part-time or I'm working not at all. Um, so thankfully, the this job is 20 hours a week. It's Monday through Friday, which is iconic. It is like my weekends are off. It's amazing. And my hours are like 9 in the morning to like 1 in the afternoon. I think like 9.30 to 1.30. Um, and it's really nearby. I can walk, um, which is excellent. Or it's like literally three bus stops away from where I live. So it's like really excellent commute. It's in a really great area that is like convenient for me to get to. 
it's really great hours. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I feel, I'm feeling great. We're feeling great. Um, and I am so excited to wear cunty business casual outfits. Like, I'm going to be the chiropractic office cunt. You know, like, I'm going to be serving receptionist realness in there every day. I'm going to be wearing a chunky loafer and a wide leg slack, you know? And I just think that they're, <laughs> that's kind of like, I hazard to say iconic, but it, sound, it sounds a little iconic of me, you know? Okay, let's get into things here. Let's get into things. Um, remember last week? <laughs> remember last week's episode when I, at the very end, said, if Taylor Swift does some fuck-ass shit at the Grammys tonight, I'm gonna have to talk about it? I literally, <laughs> I think I, like, vocally manifested the most, like, chaotic Taylor Swift week that's happened in a really long time <laughs> like I, I I thought she was gonna announce reputation Taylor's version and when I was referring to fuck ass shit that is what I was referring to um but oh my god people have had so much to say about Taylor Swift this week and because I am mandated by the court of law to talk about Taylor Swift on this podcast. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And I have been seeing a lot of people that I know and like hating on Taylor Swift <laughs> this week. And I get it. Okay. I get it. If you are burned out and you have like fatigue from hearing about Taylor Swift, that is totally fine. I respect I respect your decision to skip past this part of the podcast, okay? Um, but like, sorry, it's my podcast and I have to talk about her. So first of all, I'm just going to kind of blow through a few things. Her behavior at the Grammys last Sunday was very unlike what we have come to know and expect from Taylor Swift during public appearances. Like she was off her rocker respectfully with peace and love. Um, I saw, okay, <laughs> I saw somebody, I think on Twitter or maybe it was TikTok say that her energy at the Grammys was like somebody who graduated high school and then like comes back the next year to like visit their old high school and I was like that's yes that's exactly it that's exactly it like it wasn't the thing about people who are like oh my god she was like so like disrespectful and like sure whatever like I don't have a lot to say about the Celine Dion thing just because I'm not super like, I, I don't keep up with Celine Dion, really. I I just think that that is, like, a really funny thing that people are nitpicking is that she, like, quote-unquote snubbed Celine Dion. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Like, it's chaotic. Like, she was up on stage with, like, all of her producers and everything. And it's just kind of like she was probably focused on making sure that, like, they felt seen and, like, accidentally brushed past Celine Dion. I don't know. Like, I, that's all I'm going to say is that I, like, I don't, I don't think it was, like, Taylor Swift intentionally being, like, fuck Celine Dion. I hate that bitch. Like, I just don't think that's what happened. I think she was overwhelmed and, like, maybe a bit, like, flustered in the moment. And, and that just happened. Like, I really don't think it was an intentional snub towards Celine Dion. People who think it is, I, that's fine. You're allowed to think that. Um, but... I okay right off the bat when I saw the pic like the videos of her with boy genius like putting her Grammy on Lucy's head and like when Jack got when Jack won an award and she was like sh grabbing him and like shaking him <laughs> like she was acting crazy and the first thing that I thought was like Taylor Taylor Swift do you guys follow Brian Licious on TikTok 
He's hilarious. Fucking my favorite, one of my favorite Taylor Swift creators on TikTok. He is so unserious. I love him. But he starts off all of his videos with Taylor Swift spotted. You have to, you just have to go follow him. Brian Licious plug. Okay. He keeps me sane. Um, but the first thing I thought was like, oh my God, like this is like not regular, like Taylor Swift drunk behavior because we know that she likes to have a few drinks at these events. Like, was it at the VMAs? Like, just like all, like usually all the awards shows, like she is drinking and she does seem like loose in like a drunk sense, but there was something about this behavior. And this is coming from someone who does not do cocaine. I've never done cocaine, but I, you know, I, I wasn't raised in a, in a cave, you know, like I know, I know Coke behavior when I see it. And I have reason to believe that Taylor Swift was hitting the slopes that night. <laughs> you know, like I just think that maybe she had a little something more than a glass of white wine. Something a little bit harder than even a whiskey. You know, I think that she was, I just think that she <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, like, I don't know if this is going to, I thank God that like normal people listen to this podcast and not like crazy people because I know that, um, I know that people will defend Taylor Swift tooth and nail for some things. I really have no reason to defend her. Um, I don't have any reason to defend, a, okay, what am I trying to say? I don't have any reason to believe that Taylor Swift doesn't do uh, drugs <laughs> like I like people are like she would never do that and I'm like dude like you don't know shit like she's a celebrity like everyone from what I hear as someone not in Hollywood but like everyone in Hollywood just kind of like does cocaine so it's not like out of the realm of possibility for her to have done a little bit of cocaine that night before the Grammys I don't know So like all of her weird behavior I am kind of just like not excusing it you know, because she was she was serving high school grad who has come back to visit their old high school. <laughs> that was kind of what she was serving up. And it wasn't like malicious. Like none of what she was doing was like malicious and bad. It was just kind of annoying, you know? And like the thing is that Taylor Swift is always annoying and that's why I like her. <laughs> Like, she is kind of, like, she is just, she's always been that way, right? Like, she's always just kind of, like, a little bit extra. Like, she's always standing up and dancing. And, like, people always think Taylor Swift is annoying at award shows. Like, people think Taylor Swift is annoying everywhere she goes. And, like, I think that the Grammys had a, had a bit more critique just because I think she is at such a point of overexposure right now and like people are experiencing such fatigue seeing her that I get why the Grammys behavior rubbed people the wrong way more so than like other other events that she's been at but I don't know like I don't think it's that serious I really don't and that's kind of what my next point is going to be because I have obviously you guys I'm a Taylor Swift fan you can't make me no one <laughs> like, okay, I don't want this to come off the wrong way because I know that people are really upset with Taylor Swift for very valid reasons. I know that she is, they are upset with her for being a climate criminal, first of all. Yeah, I don't love that either, okay? I don't love that either. Um, but I can't single-handedly stop Taylor Swift from flying in her private jet. So that's kind of going to be something that I'm not losing sleep over, you know, me personally. Um, and people are upset with her for you know, rightfully so, not speaking up on the genocide happening in Palestine. Um, I think that a lot of celebrities are staying silent, but I 
you know, like I don't know, I'm not making excuses, but there is just a lot that goes on in people's contracts and with their team. Cause like Taylor Swift isn't even a person at this point. Like she is an entity. And so I, like when you, I don't know, like I just, I think it's a lot more nuanced behind the scenes. Cause like, think about how much she had to like plead and beg her dad to her dad to come out as a Democrat during Miss Americana. Like girl was going through it, just trying to, endorse a democratic candidate or like speak out against a republican candidate and her dad was like throwing a fit and so i'm just like i can't imagine like i know she's a grown woman i know she's 34 but i think that she is like and this is just me like armchairs like take all of this with a grain of salt you know what i mean like i'm not claiming to be a taylor swift expert i literally just sit in front of a computer and yap for an hour straight every week okay so do not do not take any of this to the bank, but I think that she is way more under the thumb of her parents than we think. Like, I think that they control a lot more of her image and what she does and what she says than I think they do. Um, even though she is like in her mid thirties, like I just think that they have a lot more say in what she does and how she presents herself and what she speaks on than, than people think. Um, and I'm not saying that's good. Like, does Taylor Swift need to grow a backbone from time to time and and do some? Yes. But Taylor Swift has never, this is not the first time that I have been disappointed by Taylor Swift's silence on something. Like in 20, I mean, the thing that I always think about is in 2022, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, she, like the day that the Roe v. Wade was overturned, she like dropped merch. And like, that was what she decided to like tweet about and post on her Instagram. Like she didn't say shit about Roe v. Wade being overturned. And I was like, well, that's kind of like, that's kind of lame. Like you, you, she talks a big game about, you know, supporting women and whatever. And that, you know, that silence was pretty loud. I recall. I, you know, since she's been rubbing elbows with Jackson Mahomes, a, <laughs> a sex offender, that hasn't been excellent for me to reckon with either. Like, I don't love the fact that Taylor Swift, who appeared on the Time magazine cover years ago for being a face of the Me Too movement, like, I don't know, like, maybe you shouldn't be just, like, hanging out in a in a box with, with Jacks. is that his name? Jackson Mahomes? I don't know. Like, that didn't thrill me either. You know what I mean? But what I'm saying is I have very low expectations of Taylor when it comes to stuff like this because historically – she hasn't proven to be that strong of an activist. You know what I mean? And so I hear it. I hear when people say she had a whole album cycle and documentary come out about, you know, being an activist and using her voice and advocating for LGBT people and advocating for women and, and advocating for Democratic candidates and whatever. That's literally all people use that as like, oh, well, she she said this once. And so that means that every time she doesn't speak out about something now, that's kind of going against the image that we've seen of her. In my opinion, Taylor Swift's image has never been that of an activist. Like, yes, she can say that she wants to use her voice more and speak up for causes she believes in during Miss Americana and during the Lover album cycle and whatever. But anecdotally speaking, if we're going off of anecdotal evidence, she's never actually held to that before like for the past like five years since lover has come out like she actually hasn't 
Like literally the most she'll do is like acknowledge the fact that it's Pride Month during June. Like that's the extent of her quote unquote activism. And so I guess that I don't have this expectation on her to be speaking out about global politics because that is not a precedent that she has set with her actions. She's said it, she's used her words, but she's her actions have never really backed that up. So I don't really have any reason. I don't really have any expectation for her to. I don't know, like, and I'm trying because I know that. I guess my. I guess the hill that I'll die on is that not everybody has to be everything to each of us. And that doesn't mean that I have to, like, separate from that. I, and, and here's what I mean by that is I have been seeing so many people on my TikTok the past couple days, like the past week, I would say, talking about how, like, I was a lifelong Swifty and now I'm, like, disillusioned and now I'm, like, stepping away from being a fan. And I get that. If that's what you have to do, that is totally fine. But what I've noticed is that there is a real parallel between people talking about becoming disillusioned by Taylor Swift and kind of leaving the fandom. The way they talk about that really parallels the way that I hear people talk about leaving religion. And like, it makes sense. Like people have so much of their identity tied up in being a fan of Taylor Swift, the way that people have their identity tied up in being Christian or whatever. So like that does make a lot of sense to me that people are kind of feeling the same way and that there are those parallels between those conversations being had. I think that because I am not a lifelong Swifty, like I got into Taylor Swift in like 2020, big time is when I, you know, it was COVID. I was unemployed. Like I was in a new city. Like I had a lot of time to be on the subreddits. <laughs> and be deep diving Taylor Swift during that time. And so I kind of like retroactively learned, like kind of got into her lore, but I wasn't there being a hardcore Swifty from the time that her first album dropped or from the time, like from like Speak Now or Fearless. Like I don't even go back that far. Like I was aware of her obviously and the zeitgeist. She's such a big player when it comes to pop culture, but I wasn't a fan of hers and her music until 2020. And so I feel like maybe because I didn't have this feeling of growing up with her and like I didn't have, I don't have like 17 years of parasocial relationship built up, I feel like maybe I am not the best person to talk about like becoming disillusioned and like becoming you know like an ex-Swifty or whatever because that's what I've been hearing a lot of people talking about and they all come from a place of I've been a fan of Taylor Swift since 2008 or whatever whenever she dropped her debut album and now they're upset with what she is doing or not doing. Um, and I just think that I lack that specific kind of parasocial relationship with her. She's always just been like celebrities are just celebrities to me. I don't harbor the same parasocial relationship that I have with them that I do with like podcasters and content creators that I that I follow. Like I would say I have very strong parasocial relationships with with podcasters that I listen to. 
Um, but I just like don't have that same relationship with Taylor Swift, the person. Like my connection to her really comes through her music. And like, I don't think that I've had this like almost two decades of buildup with her. And so I think that's where people are getting really upset is because they feel this sense of betrayal from her now. Whereas I never felt connected enough to her as a person to feel betrayed by her. Does that make sense? And I, and I hope it does because I, I understand where people are coming from that they, this is like rocking kind of their foundation of who they are as a person because for the past 15, 16, 17 years for some of these people, their identity has been tied up in being a Swifty and being a Taylor Swift fan. And I feel like my identity isn't resting on Taylor Swift in a way um, just because I, you know, kind of fell into the Taylor Swift pipeline when I was like 22 and I, my brain was like more fully formed than someone who like became a Taylor Swift fan when they were like 10, you know, like, yeah, like I just had more of a separation going into it because I had, and I don't really have a celebrity that I've like loved since I was like a little kid. So I just kind of can't really relate to that. I just have, there is just some sort of inherent separation between me and celebrities in my mind. And I think that, um, Taylor Swift like really tra like transcends that with her music because it is so, so confessional and like everything she writes like has such deep meaning and like lore behind it. And so I do feel connected to her lyrics in that way, but I don't feel like she is betraying me now by like not speaking up about things or, you know, flying her private jet. Like I have always been aware of the fact that like celebrities are not necessarily good people. And that's the other thing I want to go into is that I don't need someone to be a good person who aligns with me on every single thing in order for me to like an aspect of them. I am not sitting here claiming that Taylor Swift is a perfect person who has never done anything wrong because that's just not true. Like, just, like she's a person and like, I mean, you know, at, at some level, not to me, because she is truly like an entity to me. I think that what I don't get or what I get, I understand it, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily apply to me is people who, if they, if they don't align with somebody or if somebody, a public figure, a content creator, whatever, a celebrity doesn't align with them publicly on every single thing they believe, they feel like they can't be a fan of that person anymore. And that like all or nothing kind of mentality just doesn't really rock with me. Like I, I kind of try really hard now that I am, you know, like <laughs> older, like I'm in my mid twenties. Like I have critical thinking skills. Like I really try to see nuance and like, you know what I always say? Like I contain multitudes. Like I really am not into <laughs> Taylor Swift's carbon emissions. I am not into her behavior all of the time and the decision decisions that she makes and what she does publicly. But to me, to me personally, that doesn't, that does not cause such a dissonance inside of me that I feel that I can no longer listen to her music. Because what I've been seeing is a lot of people saying like, I removed all of her music from my library. Like I can't even listen to her anymore. 
And I'm just like, I get that. If that's what you have to do, I get that you have to make that separation. I just kind of feel like I don't need Taylor Swift to be like the best, most morally superior person in the world for me to enjoy her songwriting and music, which is what she does by trade, you know? And I think that applies to a lot of things. Like, I think that applies to... I don't know. Like I just, I got this book that I'm reading that, uh, that I, well, barely, I just started it. It's called Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma. It's about, like reconciling with like, mostly men is what they're talking about in the movie. Like men who make art that we love, but are terrible, terrible humans, like monsters for lack of a better word. And like, I'd love to talk about it once I finish it, but I'm like barely into it and I don't really have a, an opinion on it yet. But I really think that that is going to I hope that I can feel validated and I hope that I can feel like I have some like smarter talking points after I finish the book just about reconciling liking someone's work but not necessarily liking them as a person 100% of the time. I don't know. That's all I'm going to say. I just kind of feel like I I I have had opinions building watching the Taylor Swift discourse happen this week. And I just like kind of wanted to share where I'm at because I know that when you're on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and whatever in these like fan communities, it feels very all or nothing. It feels like if you support Taylor Swift to people to non to people who don't like Taylor Swift, if you are supporting her right now, that means that you by proxy are a bad person to people who are Swifties, like die hard to their core Swifties, which I am not. Like I'm just, I, I'm just not the Swiftie. I'm not a Taylor Swift fan the way that like die hard Swifties are Taylor Swift fans. Um, because again, like I think that in order to, it, to be a Swiftie, there is some sort of like identity element. Like you, Taylor, being a Taylor Swift fan is a core part of your identity in the way with me it is not. Um, even though I'm still a giant fan of her music. But yeah, I just kind of, I don't know, like, I know that when you're in these communities, whether you're on the anti-Taylor Swift <laughs> algorithm or if you're getting fed pro-Taylor Swift, like, you either have to be all in or all out. And I really just don't agree with that framework. And I'm hoping that I can maybe, like, I don't know. I just wanted to get that out there. I just wanted to, like, provide, <laughs> like, my opinion that I I personally think is, like, fairly nuanced. And, like, I feel I don't... I don't personally feel bad or guilty about like streaming Taylor Swift music. You know what I mean? Like I just, I don't like, there are a lot of music artists that I like and listen to, but don't, I wouldn't like necessarily want to be friends with the person that made music or would, I wouldn't want to know that much about them because I, I might not like it. You know what I mean? Like I, I like literally any, <laughs> and that's the thing is like literally any band that has a man in it, I can guarantee you has allegations against something. Like there are some kind of sexual assault allegations, like something. And it's just kind of like, and that's why I'm really excited to get further into this book is because like, how do we reconcile that? How do we kind of deal with the dissonance that being a fan of someone's work, despite not agreeing with them as a person all the time, like that is... Yeah, like that's just inter interesting to me and I'm really excited to read the book and I will, I guess, be back with my <laughs> with my opinions and more fully fleshed out thoughts once I finish it. Okay, we are switching gears um, really hard into something else. <laughs> and what I really want to talk about, okay, I made the most unhinged like little bullet point list of stuff I want to talk about today. Um, 
I think I got like a little, I've been getting Exploration Live pilled recently. Um, Brooke got me into this podcast called Exploration Live that I find to be hilarious. Like I love putting it on when I'm like going for a walk. It just feels like I am hanging out, goofing and gaffing with some friends. But the, the format of their podcast is they just have like these random ideas they think of throughout the week and then they just like share their ideas or their observations. And so I feel as though that kind of, made its way into my mind. And that's how I kind of approached my bullet point agenda for this week. But the first thing that I wrote down is <laughs> just fringe benefits in quotes. And I I don't know why I was thinking about this the other day, but fringe benefits is like such an outdated term. And I remember when I first heard of fringe benefits, or maybe like the only frame of reference I have for fringe benefits is in the Brady Bunch when I was like a little kid and I watched the Brady Bunch, I like Greg, the eldest son, got a job for some, he got a job somehow. I think he was actually working for, Is I don't know if this is going to land, but like I actually think he was working for Sam, Alice's boyfriend, the butcher. Um, but maybe I got my wires crossed. Um, either way, he was like getting a job and he said, oh yeah, and like I have fringe benefits. <laughs> and as a little kid, I was like, first of all, I thought he was saying French benefits and I didn't know what that was. But then Turns out it was fringe benefits. And that is just a term that like nobody uses anymore. And I just like kind of want to discuss that. Like fringe benefits are, okay, let me actually just Google it because I don't even know like what the difference is between a fringe benefit and like a benefit. Um, But it's like, okay, what are fringe benefits? Common fringe benefits are basic items often included in hiring packages. These include health insurance, life insurance, tuition assistance. Um, oh, come on. An ad popped up. Fuck. Tuition assistance, child care reimbursement, cafeteria subsidies, below market loans, employee discounts, employee stock options, and personal use of a company-owned vehicle. So I never hear anyone anymore saying, like, guys, I just got the most awesome job offer. Like, you won't believe the fringe benefits. Like, people just kind of say that, like, like, people just say, like, oh, yeah, I got a job. It has great benefits. And, like, I'm wondering when we kind of dropped the fringe from that phrase. Um, and I'm kind of wondering now, like, because I wouldn't consider something like the personal use of a company-owned vehicle to be included in like a regular benefits package you know like I would consider benefits to be like time off paid time off um health insurance definitely um tuition assistance definitely employee discounts and stock options definitely but stuff like I don't even know what a cafeteria subsidy is is that just like a per diem like is is that just kind of like a weird term for like getting reimbursed for your um meals <laughs> subsidies because also like who the fuck has a cafeteria oh I guess it is like yeah I guess there are like corporate corporate cafeterias I guess I've never like worked a job that is like cool and legit enough to have a cafeteria um <laughs> like in the building but yeah whatever but yeah, I kind of don't have anything else to say on that topic. I just kind of wanted to float, you know, the idea of fringe benefits. And like, that's just kind of like not really a thing anymore in like the 21st century. And maybe it's because like no one even gets like basic benefits anymore. <laughs> like low-key, like, no, like having a health insurance plan is like considered 
really iconic and like really excellent if you can get a job that even offers you health insurance like I don't know maybe back maybe in the 70s like during the Brady Bunch time that Greg was speaking of said French benefits like I said French benefits fringe benefits maybe they were I don't know like the 70s everyone was just like doing drugs and having sex and like probably getting paid a bunch of money at their job and good for them, you know? And so maybe fringe benefits are more of a thing because they were already getting vacation time and health insurance and whatever. And they were like, oh yeah, like the extra benefits, the benefits, the fringe benefits are even better. But employers are so stingy nowadays that like they can't even comprehend giving out like the regular like baseline level of benefits. So now those have turned into fringe benefits. Did that make sense? I don't think so. But another outdated term that I also want to talk about, and I was talking about this with my friends Hannah and Shannon last night, is the idea of nuking something in reference to the microwave. And this one, I heard someone say it. I was watching... Oh, I was watching this movie from 2008 with Beyonce and Idris Elba called Obsessed. Um... It was from 2009. Sorry. Um, it's like a romance thriller about Beyonce and Idris Elba who are married to each other in the movie. And um, it's a good movie. I actually like really enjoyed it. It's what I can only describe as like if a Lifetime movie got like a high budget and celebrities to be in it, actually. Like it was serving Lifetime movie realness in a good, in an actually good way, production wise. But the like intern in the movie was like, oh, if your coffee's not warm enough like I can go to the kitchen and nuke it real quick and that that I shot up in the couch I said nuke it that is a word that I have not heard in forever I never say I'm gonna go nuke something I just say that I'm gonna go microwave it and I'm wondering if this is a generational difference because when I think of someone getting like if I'm gonna if something is getting nuked they're absolutely being blown up by a nuclear bomb right and I can't be the only one that makes that association so maybe it is a cultural thing, not even cultural, like a generational thing of like now nuking has more of a connotation with like nuclear warfare. But that doesn't really make sense either because people were like super worried about nuclear warfare in like the 60s, right? That was like a thing. Yeah, this is from Wiki. The United States monopoly on nuclear weapons was broken by the Soviet Union in 1949 when it tested its first nuclear explosive, the RDS-1. With this, many in the U.S. government as well as many citizens perceived that the United States was more vulnerable than it had ever been before. In 1950, during the first big civil defense push of the Cold War and coinciding with the Alert America initiative to educate Americans on nuclear preparedness, the adult-orientated Survival Under Atomic Attack was published. It contains, quote, duck and cover, or more accurately, cover and then duck advice without using those specific terms, and it's six survival secrets for atomic attack section. <laughs> Step one, try to get shielded. Two, drop flat on the ground or the floor. Three, bury your face in your arms, the crook of your elbow. The child-oriented film Duck and Cover was produced a year later by the Federal Civil Defense Administration in 1951. And I remember watching that in school. Um, I remember watching the I remember watching the video that they made to like teach kids how to duck and cover under a possible nuclear attack in the 50s. And I, I don't know, I think I, made, I I think I watched that in high school at some point. Um, but I remember being like, God damn, like people like used to, I remember thinking like, oh my God, people used to have to like do drills in school to prepare for a nuclear attack. Like that is so scary. 
but in retrospect, that is like kind of like I was doing drills every year in school, like lockdown drills, lock in drills in the case of an active shooter. So like, I guess, pick, hey, pick your poison. Would you like to have nuclear warfare or an active shooter situation? Because if you're a student in America, those are kind of your two options. So smash or pass, you know what I mean? I don't mean to say that in jest. School shootings are a big issue that I like, that have tr traumatized a lot of people and that people are living with the impacts of. And people have lost people that they love because of them. But I'm just saying that like, me having to train for an active shooter drill really isn't any more or less scary than children in the 50s having to train for a nuclear attack, right? But I was like, oh my God, I can't imagine. I, I, and at the time I, I saw that video, I was like, I can't believe that this is a thing that kids had to do. Whereas I was a small child hiding under a desk in a dark room, uh, learning what to do in case someone with a fucking machine gun came into my elementary school, you know? So... Good times. Good times. That let's let's turn this plane around and fly back to where we were flying before. Um oh, I was just okay, yeah. So nuking I was saying like maybe referring to something being microwaved as nuking it was generational in the sense that like it used to mean microwaving, but now it means at least to me, it means like if I'm, if someone's getting nuked, that means they are getting absolutely obliterated by an, an atomic bomb. But that doesn't really make sense because those also existed in the zeitgeist and in people's periphery in the mid-century as well. When were microwaves invented? When were microwaves invented? October 8th, 1945. Okay, so that's really interesting because in 1945... The microwave was invented in 1949. The Soviets tested their first nuclear explosive. So it's really, <laughs> I don't know why that's interesting. And I don't know what parallel I'm supposed to be drawing here. Oh, the countertop microwave oven was introduced in 1967 by the Amana Corporation. After... Okay, so 1945, the heating effect of a high-power microwave beam was accidentally discovered by Percy Spencer, an American self-taught engineer from Maine. Maine shout out. I don't know. Got any got any Maine listeners out there? I think there is someone in Maine who listens to my podcast because I see them on the map on my analytics. Anyway, it seems as though the microwave became available for like residential use in the mid to late 60s by 1972 Litton which is I'm assuming some sort of corporation introduced two new microwave ovens priced at $349 and $399 wait was that the amount that they cost in the 70s I have to see what that I am obsessed with figuring out what money was worth at different times in history. So I really need to look into this. This was in 1972. What was $349 in 1972? Let's see. Adjusted for inflation, $349 in 1972 is equal to $2,520 in 2023. 
So people in 1972 were forking over their equivalent of $2,500 for a microwave? I cannot imagine. That must have been pretty unaccessible for most people, inaccessible for most people. The late 1970s saw an explosion of low-cost countertop models from many major manufacturers. Okay, so I guess that like, okay, there's my answer. It's crazy how when I have questions, I should just like continue reading the article and my question will be answered. Um, by 1986, roughly 25% of households in the U.S. owned a microwave oven, up from only about 1% in 1971. Okay, so pretty much nobody had a microwave until like the mid to late 80s. And then by 2008, 95% of kitchens contained a microwave. Wow, fascinating. I hope that everyone enjoyed their little microwave history lesson. I personally love the microwave. Um, that's kind of my main form of cooking, most everything that I consume. I would be nowhere and nobody without the microwave, really. Um, thank you, Mr. Wave, for your service. Switching gears once again, because I have a lot I need to cover today, okay? I need to talk about the concept of stalking your own Instagram. Because the other day, I was like, oh, I'm going to go take a shower. And before I took a shower, I laid down on the bed and just, like, opened my phone to do a quick, you know, a quick little notifi notification check. And what ended up happening was that I scrolled back through my Instagram to, like, 2021. And I was just kind of, like, scrolling through it. And what I like to do is I like to scroll through my Instagram from like pretending that it's from the perspective of someone who like has never met me and, or maybe has just met me once and they are like trying to like I'm trying to figure out like if I was a stranger looking at my own Instagram, what would I think about myself? What would I, you know, what would they know about me? Like what if I was a stranger who had come across my Instagram or maybe I had met myself in passing I want to know like what, how people perceive me based on my Instagram. And I told this to Ty. I was like, oh, I just like spent, I just accidentally got sucked into stalking my own Instagram. And he was like, what? And I was like, I, yeah, I was like stalking my own Instagram. And, and I was like, don't you ever do that? And he said, no. And I was like, okay. So then yesterday, obviously I had to open up my pool of, you know, people that I was talking to. And, and my friend Hannah, shout out was like, oh my God, I do this all the time. And she actually said, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this. It's not too bad. It's not bad at all, but I just am hesitant to share any amount of information that people tell me because I'm like, well, you didn't tell me under the guise, you didn't tell me under the assumption that I was going to say it on the podcast, but I think she'll be okay with this. She said, yeah, every time I get a new follower, I like do that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, thank God someone else does this because I... Like, it feels very, like, narcissistic almost, like, vain. But, like, it's not. Like, I'm not going through my Instagram to be like, oh, my God, like, look how cool I am or was, which I do think that. Like, off, like I will say whenever I'm feeling bad about myself, to scroll back through my Instagram and see, like, all of the cool things that I've done and posted about and, like, outfits that I've worn, it lifts my mood a little bit. I go, okay, I was cool once. I can be cool again. But I'm just, like, really interested in how people perceive me based on my social media if they don't know me as a person. And so it's really interesting to go and like swipe through all my carousels and scroll back really far and like kind of get a feel for like what people think of me when they find my Instagram. I don't know. Like I just think it's interesting and I am like really, I'm like one thing that I like have talked about in therapy 
literally since day one, like since I got into therapy, is that I really can't stand not having a say in how other people perceive me. Like, I hate not being able to control what people think of me, how they see me. I feel wildly out of control. Like, I hate not being able to strong arm someone into thinking a certain thing about me. Like, I I won't get too into I'm, like, not going to get into it because I'm not, I'm just not sharing it. But I had a situation a couple years ago where I, I knew that I was the bad guy, I was the villain in a situation with somebody else. And I knew in my heart that I wasn't coming at this trying to be the villain. Like I wasn't thinking that I was being the bad guy. But based on this person's responses, it was clear that I was the villain in the situation. And there was nothing like to them, like they, I was the bad guy to them. It was completely, everything was my fault to them. And I was kind of caught in this game of like good guy, bad guy. And like, I was to this person, I was the bad guy. And like, they were the good guy who had like gotten fucked over. That wasn't my truth. That wasn't my truth. I had a completely different truth and reality that I was in. And it made me so frustrated that I couldn't control how they perceived me. No matter what I did or what I said or what I could have texted them or said to them, nothing would change the fact that they saw me as the villain in this situation. And that drove me insane. Like I talked about it in therapy for weeks in a row when I was when I was going through this situation and it came down to the fact that like I hated that I couldn't control how they saw me even though my truth was just inherently different than their truth and their reality. It's like really hard for me to reconcile with that. It is really difficult for me to know that people perceive me in a different way than I am perceiving myself I don't know how that ties back to my Instagram but like I am just curious like if someone is just like going in raw and seeing my pictures and what I post and what I put on the internet like what do they think of me is it an accurate representation of how I am in real life no I don't think that all of the time I actually think that some people who know me I think that some people who I've just like met in passing like maybe you know in the circles that I fly in, like in the market scene and the arts, like in the art scene, stuff like that, or like, you know, people that I've like worked with very, very briefly, like they maybe don't know me as a person. This has happened a few times where like people have come into contact with me from Instagram. Like it was a mutual friend or we met once in passing or something like that. And then we follow each other on Instagram and they interact with me on Instagram in my stories and and we we interact in that way like online and then once that and we get along well and and this has happened and I don't know if this is true this is how I see it because it happened a few times I could probably think of like two or three times that this has happened in my opinion where they think that I feel like people think that I'm like funny and cool and like outgoing and really like extroverted based on my Instagram 
And then I feel like once we take the step into like a real life hangout or like a real like pursuing a real life friendship, I feel like there's been a few times where I'm like, oh, they are disappointed in how I am acting in comparison to how I show myself on Instagram. And I could be crazy here. Like, I, like I'm sure that, like, I'm harder on myself than literally anybody else is. But I kind of feel like sometimes my in, my IRL personality, like, doesn't always match up to, like, what I curate and put online. Like, I just don't think that I am as, like, funny and loud and, like, I don't have the same kind of, like, charisma in person all the time that I do online. And so I do feel like sometimes people are, like, disappointed by me in real life if they have had only an Instagram relationship with me previously does anyone else relate IDK and like probably that's not even true like probably if I I don't even know like I can't even think of any examples off the top of my head but like I don't know like I just like I'm sure if I even asked any of those people I was like hey were you like disappointed by me in real life after knowing me on Instagram like I'm sure they would be like no but like there's a part of me where I'm like they might have like as soon as we kind of met up in person for the first time after carrying on this like digital relationship like maybe there was a a point where they were like oh like this is not I totally thought that this was someone different like I thought Olivia was different than how she's acting in real life I don't know I don't know anyway interesting it's interesting existing in digital spaces we know that's not a new conversation but I just you know let me know your thoughts okay like let me know do you stalk your own Instagram do you stalk your own Instagram through the perspective of somebody meeting you for the first time do you stalk your Instagram as someone stumbling across your page as a stranger like I don't know like I just I'm curious anywho Okay, almost an hour in, finally getting around to what I <laughs> what I actually want to talk about, um, which I have been teasing for the past multiple weeks, is that I I need to share with you this kind of like half-baked theory that I have been noodling around with for the past couple months surrounding gossip and how we view gossip in our society. And okay, I'm just going to kind of start out from the beginning because I am an avid normal gossip listener okay normal gossip with Kelsey McKinney I fucking love that podcast I have loved that podcast for years and I like I I they don't release weekly they do seasons like 10 week seasons and like in the in between you guys like I am actually down bad like I am so thirsty for a new normal gossip episode but this most recent season, she started asking her guests a new question, which is, I heard, she, she'll she like introduce them and be like, this is our guest today. And I heard that you brought a piece of gossip with you today to share with everybody. And then they would proceed to like share this gossip with everyone. But it literally, like, I'm not saying any of this is bad. Like I'm saying, I love it. Like I love that podcast. I love it so much. But the gossip that they told was just a story. Like, it was just a story, uh, like, it would, like, it would be the same if she would have said, I heard that you had a story to tell us today. They would have answered the same thing. And that made me kind of think, back in time, early 2010s, early mid-2010s, when storytime YouTubers were the thing. Like, people who got on YouTube and filmed themselves telling stories about their life or things that happened to them was 
the thing to do on YouTube. Like think about like Tana Monjoe and think about Gabby Hanna back in the day. And there was this other one that I used to watch. Her name was Olivia. I don't know. She was on, I think her name was like Olivia Cara on YouTube or something. I watched her all the time. Like I was in high school and I just watched all of these people get on, on YouTube just like telling story times about random things that happened to them. Now, that kind of storytelling, storytime culture has really kind of moved toward, it's kind of been rebranded as gossip. Because I don't know, like I just, the storytelling era of the early 2010s on YouTube have kind of been rebranded as gossip in our current modern day and hear me out it's the same the root of it is the same like whereas someone in 2012 would have gotten on youtube and said this is a story time about the time that i you know went on a tinder date with a guy in a different state just a random example now that same story would be told by someone on tiktok but they would be like I have some tea for you guys. I have some gossip for you guys about this Tinder date that I went on with a guy in a different state. And it's a story that they're telling you, but they are positing it as gossip and as tea. And I think this kind of reflects the democratization of content creators in some way. And like, this is what I mean when it's a half-baked theory is because I'm, I'm obviously still working on it. I don't have it fully fleshed out. But I believe in the power of collaboration. And I think that maybe if I get this out on the airwaves, someone else will be able to come in and like maybe their point of view will like help me round out this theory fully, you know? So if you do have thoughts on this, like please reach out to me. <laughs> it's really not that serious, but I have been thinking about it for a while. Storytelling, like storytelling in the YouTube age of like the early 2010s, there is a clear power dynamic at play there. There is the storyteller, the per the YouTuber, the, the content creator telling the story, and then there are the listeners. So there's there's inherently like a a power dynamic at play of like the, the the storyteller and the person listening. When it comes to gossip, that is more of a community effort that is more collaborative inherently. And so I'm, there is something there. There is something there about the fact that how did, okay. And I don't, and this is where I get kind of tripped up because there's, there's something there that has to do with like YouTubers back in the day who were doing story times, they were kind of like elevated above their, like there was just something, there was something there where like they, they felt more unattainable. Like the person telling you the story felt, you felt like you were hearing a, a, a story completely divorced from your life. When people now get on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, and they say, I have some gossip for you guys or a podcast or whatever. And they say, I have gossip to tell you guys. That brings in your audience to be active collaborators in the story rather than just listening to the story. Like there's something inherent about gossip that is community oriented and collaboration based. Like you can't have, like gossiping is 
like I just don't know how else to say it other than like it is it is community based whereas storytelling is very much like I am the storyteller and I am bestowing the story upon you and so I th- there is something about the fact that we have kind of rebranded storytelling as gossip that reflects the way that reflects the way that people now have much more engaged that's not even true though because youtubers had the most insanely engaged audiences like in the heyday in the height of youtube so i can't even say that that people's audiences are more engaged now it's more that there is like a lack of separation from the people we watch now than there was back in the height of the youtube era you know like there was just kind of like some level of separation between between lay people and like YouTubers that they watched. But now with TikTok and with just kind of the explosion of people curating personal brands on social media, there is a lack, there's less of a separation between creators and their audiences. And I also think that might have to do with the fact that kind of everyone is a creator now in their own right. And that's not even necessarily true because a lot of people do just like lurk on TikTok. Like they do just follow, they just comment, they don't post their own content. But a lot of people do. Like a lot of people are creating the same content that they're engaging with. Like I feel like a lot of people, just to kind of take it back to the YouTube parallel I'm drawing, like the YouTube storytelling parallel, most people watching YouTube did not also have their own YouTube channels. There was something you didn't feel like when you were watching a YouTuber that you were watching your peer or interacting with your peer on TikTok. I feel like there is definitely more of like a peer relationship between creators and their followers because a lot of their followers are also creators in their own right. And I'm trying to like flesh this out. I'm trying to like pull on a loose thread somewhere because I know that there is, I have, this thing has legs, okay? I know this theory has legs and I know that it says something about the broader culture and I just don't know what it is yet. (laughs) But there is like, I just kind of want to, I just kind of wanted to bring to light my feelings about how the story time era has been rebranded into gossip. The same content that we would re- refer to as a story time 10 years ago is now being referred to as gossip on, you know, various platforms. And I just think that's really interesting. And I think there's there's something bigger at play in terms of how we are relating to people and how we are viewing people as part of our community, rather as separated from us in terms of... um in terms of like creator versus follower relationships. I don't know. Anyway, that segues me into my next point, my like kind of part two to this theory, which is that there are three tiers of gossip as far as I'm concerned. There's primary, secondary, and tertiary gossip. And primary gossip is going to be when I am telling you a story about something that happened directly to me that I am directly involved in. Secondary gossip is going to be if I'm telling you a story about two or more other people that I'm not involved in personally, like I'm not involved in the gossip, but I am adjacent to it. So maybe if I were to tell you a story about like, you know, two of my friends or something that I'm not necessarily a main, a main player in the story, but I'm relaying that information to you. 
that would be a secondary gossip. Tertiary gossip, in my opinion, is gossip about celebrities that we don't know personally. Gossip about gossip that we see online about people we don't know that we don't have any, you know, connection to. So like where, and I would say that where the secondary and tertiary gossip kind of differs when it comes to like the internet, because like obviously celebrity gossip is tertiary gossip. Like I, like when I am like gossiping about celebrities, those are people, those are players in the story that I have never met and I will never meet. But I would say even normal gossip, the podcast, when I'm listening to that, that to me is tertiary gossip because it was from someone else that sent about somebody else. The person that sent in the story is not sometimes the person that the story happens to. And then Kelsey, the host of the podcast, is relaying that story to me. So I would maybe say even to her, it's sec- it's tertiary gossip because she's not even connected to the people in the story. And then to me, it's also tertiary gossip. Secondary gossip would be secondary gossip, like in the context of normal gossip, the podcast, when she, when Kelsey has a guest on and they're telling her a story, a piece of gossip that happened to them, to her, that is secondary gossip I think because she and (laughs) I can't even keep my own theory straight but to me as the listener to the podcast it would be tertiary gossip anyway I'm just like I just kind of feel like I've I've got something going here and I don't believe in perfection and at first I was like I'm going to really flesh out this theory and then talk about it and then I was like fuck it dude like I believe in the power of the people and I think that maybe if I talk this out and put it on the internet, maybe someone will have some valuable insight to kind of add to this theory, able to flesh it out a little bit more. So I want you to think about it. I want you to think about (laughs) homework, okay? Olivia's Obscura homework. Go ahead and go home today and really think about primary, secondary, and tertiary gossip and the way that gossip has kind of been rebranded from the story time era of the height of YouTube, You know, like I'm telling you guys, there is something there. There is something there (laughs) that reflects the broader culture, okay? You guys want to know what TikTok sound I can't get out of my head is the, I just started seeing it like a couple days ago, but it goes, it's the audio that goes, ew, brother, what's that, brother? Let me find it. (laughs) I can't stop thinking it. I think it's so funny. <laughs> okay, well, my cat, Mr. Bruce, Mr. Bruce Springsteen has come to sit on my keyboard. He's not moving and he is, you know, a large boy. He's about 20 pounds. So if he's not moving, it is not up to me to move him. Um, and I think that is maybe him telling me that that's a sign to land this plane and end this episode. A little bit shorter than maybe last week. I don't know. I, I really need to know like what length of episodes people like. Because I'm always like thinking that I'm I'm always like striving for like an hour and a half to two hours. But I don't know if I just put that expectation on myself because I like to listen to really long form podcasts like that. Um, and maybe people do just like prefer a nice little tight hour, like a tight hour, hour 15. So I don't know if you have any strong thoughts about that, please let me know. But I think I'm going to 
wave goodbye au revoir to my lovely obscura heads today obscura nation thank you for tuning in for yet another week i am so delighted to have you here if you made it this far in the episode i'm gonna give you a giant sloppy kiss on the forehead and if you would like to keep up with me you can go ahead and follow me on instagram and tiktok olivia stober studios on both those platforms the podcast also has an instagram and a tiktok that is just at obscura pod no periods no underscores nothing um i don't really i announce the episodes on those accounts or on the instagram at least and sometimes i use the instagram story as like i i, I sometimes use the stories on the obscura pod account as like kind of a quasi close friends story situation but I kind of, I still don't really know what I'm doing with that account. I would like to kind of like, you know, boister up more content for that account. But like, I already just like make so much content for like other stuff that's just like more important to me. Like I I, I would rather focus on making content for like my business and like my art that I could actually sell and make money on. No offense, but I'm not making any money off of this podcast. Would I like to make money off of it someday? Absolutely. If I'm going to make money off of it someday, do I need to treat it as a job? Yes. <laughs> Am I doing that? No. Um, but yeah, so whatever floats your boat, follow me on Instagram, follow the podcast on Instagram, follow none of us on Instagram if you don't give a shit. I don't blame you. I, once a week is enough. I don't blame you if you're like, I don't need to see you on Instagram too. Like, I get that, okay? But with that, I'm going to sign off. I hope everyone has a lovely week. And I will see you next week. All right. Bye.